0: Hey, it's Kayla here, just jumping into this episode a little bit early because I realized as I was uploading it that this episode is going to be our last episode of 2020. Um, So with that um, New Year's Eve, New Year's sort of spirit, um, you know, looking forward to 2022, I wanted to give an announcement that right now the plan is for canine conservationists to continue as normal with the podcast. Um, But I don't have any conservation detection dog gigs concretely lined up for 2022. There are a couple different grants out, a couple things that may materialize. But right now, the biggest thing that I am looking forward to in 2022 is aside from continuing to train my dogs, and I always have a goal of catching as many sunrises and sunsets as I can each year. Um, this year, I'm adding in the goal of doing one kind thing for my body every day. Um, in 2022, my biggest goal is to start driving the Pan-American Highway with the dogs and with the van, and. I have been struggling a little bit with figuring out how and where and why to announce this because it feels like it runs a little bit counter to my goals of building canine conservationists and being a conservation detection dog handler. But as you're going to hear in this episode, there have been a lot of really tough things for me in the last couple of years. And I think I am working on lengthening my time horizons and becoming comfortable with the idea that... I'm going to take this time for myself i'm going to take this time to enjoy the dogs and travel and continue building what i have with the podcast and mentoring and networking and when i return um, i'll either start grad school or dive full-time into the conservation dog work most likely um so just because i'm going to be road tripping just because i'm going to be traveling doesn't mean that anything is going to change on your end although you may see some different content showing up on social media and um, if you are a biologist or ecologist listening who's interested in hiring us, we are still absolutely looking for work and are absolutely open to it, but um wanted to give you that update. And then, you know, circling back and looking back on 2021, I, I started 2021 in a really, really dark place, which again, you'll hear about a little bit later in this episode. And I'm really happy with where I'm at right now. I'm really proud of the progress that I made with Niffler in particular. You know, when I started 2021, he was a... Oh gosh, he was like 11 weeks old, 13 weeks old, um, little baby puppy, and you know now he's already finished his first field season. He's found dozens of targets. I'm really, really proud of where he is, and um, you know, barley didn't really have any big goals for the year. I didn't really have any big goals for the year, but um, things are looking up compared to where they were last year, and I'm really grateful for that. So, without further ado, let's get on to the rest of epi- the episode about making it as a conservation detection dog handler. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Canine Conservationists Podcast, where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I run Canine Conservationists, where I train dogs to detect data. Today, we are doing a little bit of one of those freewheeling, bonus episode-style shows where I am recording while driving. Um, And I wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of kind of making it, quote-unquote, as a conservation detection dog trainer. Um, So I do apologize for some background noise. I am driving Saga the Sprinter van up and over a pass in northern Idaho on my way back to Missoula for Friendsgiving um, and visiting some good friends. Um... So, anyway, uh, sound quality might not be the best, I will probably release this as a bonus episode, and if you hate the sound quality and you can't listen, no hard feelings, go ahead and, uh, check out the next episode next time it comes out. Um, before we do get started, I think one of the biggest calls to action that I would love everyone to consider for this, um, episode is joining us over on Patreon, or just making a monthly contribution to us through DonorBox on our website, canineconservationists.org, um. You're gonna hear a lot more about kind of why this is so important to me throughout the, the course of this episode, but you know, things are really tight. Um, we're a baby nonprofit, um, and by we, I mean I, I this is a one woman show right now, and I could really use all the help we can get. So, okay. When I was originally thinking about the concept of this episode, of making it as a conservation detection dog handler, I was really thinking about it through a financial lens, so I think we'll start there, but we are going to pivot a little bit more to talking about, you know, the perpetual question that I get from so many listeners of how to actually get into this field and how to make this into a sustainable career, Um, and this is something I'm still really figuring out. I think part of the reason I really want to do this episode is A, to offer some candid advice, and B, to also clear the air a little bit I've been dealing with some imposter syndrome of running this podcast and kind of feeling like who the heck am I to share all of this information as someone who is still pretty early career um and you know I want to really yeah again kind of clear the air of where I am currently at where canine conservationists is currently at and uh you know just be honest I guess so finances um when I first got into the field of Conservation Detection Dogs, I was hired on by Working Dogs for Conservation as their Communications and Outreach Coordinator. Um, this was an absolute dream job for me, I was totally thrilled to be hired and really excited to be working with um, some of the legends of the field while at um, while there. And so while I was at Working Dogs for Conservation, I was paid a salary. It was a pretty modest salary, especially given the um, living cost of living in Missoula, the, that cost of living was pretty steep, and it has risen since the start of the pandemic, but, you know, I was paid a salary, and I was relatively comfortable, um, especially once I kind of got all my living uh, situations dialed in uh, as far as, you know, finding an affordable apartment, etc. Um, I was not really saving as much money as I would like, but I was I was surviving. Um, so, obviously, if you can be hired on as a full-time salaried employee somewhere, You should be able to make ends meet as a conservation detection dog handler. You're not going to be rich, but you probably can make it work. Then, as many of you know, I was fired from working at Working Dogs for Conservation. I still do not know why. They have never told me why. that entire experience is detailed um, in an essay I wrote for Lonely Conservationists, which I'll link to in the show notes, and one of these days I may read um, aloud on the podcast as another little, like, mini bonus episode, but um, I'm driving right now, so I can't do that. Um, so, I I lost my job at Working Dogs for Conservation really unexpectedly um, last November, so never November of 2020. Um, I was suddenly unemployed and had not expect that that possibility had never crossed my mind. I had my 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 long-term plan at this point, I loved working with working dogs for conservation. I'm still incredibly grateful for the opportunities I got while working there and the learning that took place for me while working there. Um, I'm really proud of a lot of the work that Barley and I did there. Um, and my, my long-term plan was to potentially take a break from working at Working Dogs for Conservation at some point to go to grad school and or get my PhD and then hopefully return to the organization um, and, you know, stay there. I was really dedicated to them and their mission. Um, until potentially one of their senior staff members left and I could move up into one of their positions or they expanded to the point where they could offer me something a little bit higher up the food chain slash primarily something that made a little bit more money. Um, obviously that, uh, that is not an option. So, again, I was kind of left unemployed. It was a weird period of time for me. It took a couple months before I got a temporary position, or, well, I viewed it as temporary. I got a position at um, the Humane Society of Western Montana, um, just helping work with the dogs there, um, dogs and cats. And I worked there up until I left for my summer um, subcontractor position finding bats on wind farms. Um, the subcontractor position that I took was with West, um, Incorporated and they hire every green handlers as well as slightly more experienced handlers to do bat, um, bat counts on wind farms, dead bat counts. Um, so that's, that's actually where I send most people if they want to get into the field at this point, because every, um, fall winter spring west starts hiring a bunch of handlers and it's a really great way to dip your toes into the field and they do pay quite well if you get hired through them um so that obviously worked quite well yeah i was making a living wage while there west um for the contract that i had also covered our housing expenses and offered us a rental vehicle um so yeah i made quite a bit of money this summer and saved up quite a bit However, since then, I have not had a new contract. I'm currently recording in mid-November, so that means that for about six weeks now, I have been, as far as being a conservation detection dog handler, I have been unemployed. (laughs) The podcast currently brings in, oh, a hundred bucks a month, um, and that all just goes directly into the organizational savings account and then comes out again to pay our editors and some of the other fees that are associated with the podcast, Um, so obviously that's not helping me survive so to be completely transparent as of right now the way that I am making it quote unquote as a conservation detection dog handler is through other means of income I run journey dog training which is an online dog behavior resource center where I both offer um, lots of free blogs and YouTube videos and then I make advertising money there and then I also offer some courses, ebooks, and one-on-one consulting there. So I'm really leveraging my expertise as a dog behaviorist, um, a certified dog behavior consultant, if you will, um, in order to make ends meet. And I'm able to, between you know, the fact that I don't pay rent because I live in a van, I'm able to live relatively comfortably on that pretty modest salary, but... I'm not actually making money as a conservation detection dog handler right now. Um, You know, there are some very minor amounts of money that come in through the podcast and some other places. But again, right now, financially speaking, I'm not running, uh, running my life as a conservation detection dog handler. I am hoping to get some contracts um, for 2022, but as of right now, I actually don't have anything lined up there either. It's on my to-do list to start really trying to change that, but um, yeah, it's, it's rough. You know, I think on social media and through this podcast, I, you know, I am maybe a more prominent voice in this field than I'm sometimes comfortable with because... Again, right now, since Working Dogs for Conservation fired me, I have not worked full-time in this field, and, um, you know, Canine Conservationist is an itty-bitty baby nonprofit that really hasn't done much yet. We're, like, at the stage where we're, like, we're crawling. We're not even toddling around, Um, and that's not because of a lack of experience of myself or my dogs or a lack of expertise. It's just, um, you know, getting contracts and... Getting projects started takes time, and so far, it's only been a year since I lost my job, and less, far less than a year since I actually successfully got Canine Conservationists kind of up and running in, um, you know, a legal sense as far as a nonprofit and a website and all that sort of stuff. So we just haven't had time to make anything happen yet. Um, so I think, and I think my experience is not unique, so I probably am a little bit hard on myself as far as feeling like an imposter or a fraud. I, As far as I can tell, there are a variety of other conservation detection dog organizations that make dual income between offering conservation detection dog services and also making their money offering dog training services. Um, that's not uncommon in the field, as far as I can tell. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to out anyone who potentially doesn't want that information to be super public. Um, and I, you know, I don't know everyone else's financial situations. But as of right now, Kayla Fratt, <laughs> um only. You know, I, I make seasonal chunks of money as a conservation detection dog handler, and otherwise the only way that I'm able to survive is by um, running my other business. I also um, take jobs as a freelance writer, so currently I'm writing about six articles a month as a freelance writer, which brings me in a couple hundred bucks a month, um, a little bit more than that. And um, then I also, this winter, am planning on working three days a week as a cross-country skiing instructor up in Breckenridge, Colorado. So that will really give me some steady work um, and steady extra income on top of all of the, the dog training work um, and hopefully give me enough financial stability that I'm able to spend some time really working on building canine conservationists into something that makes money. So, um, that's kind of the financial reality of where um, where I'm at as an early career conservation detection dog handler. Again, if you were able to get hired and work with an organization that pays you a salary, your situation will be more comfortable. But making it as kind of a solo contractor, you're likely to need some other sources of income. You know, if you've got a trust fund, that's great. But if you don't, you're going to have to come up with something else. Um, and then, you know, let's talk about getting into the field a little bit. You know, again, that's the other aspect of kind of making it as a conservation detection dog handler. I've talked about this quite a bit before on the podcast, but I get this question so often that I think it's probably worth it to just keep retelling the story. So I first heard about conservation detection dogs back when I was in undergrad grad at Colorado College. Um, and at the time, I was getting a degree in ecology. My official degree title was ecology evolution or Organismal biology, ecology, and evolution, I think. Um, I'd grown up training animals for 4-H, and I'd been in Future Farmers of America, grew up in a really agricultural area, and, but my dad was a conservation biologist, so I'd always been interested in marrying those two, um, two fields. I also was working as a dog trainer slash dog sitter slash dog walker throughout most of college and really falling in love with dogs, but always really wanted to stick with ecology as my main career. Um, so I heard about the field. I reached out to, um, conservation canines, which, uh, has now kind of spun off into broadly being rogue detection teams. Um, there's, I, I'm not entirely sure of the situation there, but anyway. Um, I reached out to them uh, when I was probably a junior in college asking um, what I had to do to get a job with them, and they uh, I didn't get a super encouraging response from whoever responded to that email. Uh, and I kind of gave up on the dream for a while there. I got a job as an animal behavior consultant at an animal shelter, um, and then I adopted Barley, and we got involved in a bunch of scent work courses and started really falling in love with that, and then as I was, um, I then ended up working as a freelance writer and really digging into the content creation and communication side of things, that's something that I'm also really passionate about, um, and wh- at the time my, uh, my then boyfriend, now ex-boyfriend, and I were also driving the Pan American Highway with Barley, so I was working fully remotely as a freelance writer and content creator, I was training barley on the side, you know, to do all these scent work things, and I just kind of started really thinking, you know, this conservation detection dog thing, it's been in the back of my head for three years now, Um, I think I want to try to figure out how to make a go of this, but I had gotten such discouraging responses when I had reached out to these organizations that... I felt like the way that I had to do it was to make my own way. Um, I clearly wasn't going to get hired any other way, and I just kind of gave up on the concept of getting hired by someone. Um, because again, these jobs are so few and far between, they're so competitive, there's so many people who want to get into this field that I just gave up on the idea of getting hired and I decided that the next smartest thing would be to go to grad school and study conservation detection dogs and hopefully... If I just study it enough, and if I just go to school for long enough, I will be able to get into this field. Um, So I started writing a Fulbright grant, which is a grant of about $30,000 that allows you to go um, to another country and study under researchers. So I reached out to Dr. Alex Taylor, who is at University of Auckland. um, And he works primarily, he runs a canine cognition lab, and he also works with um, some Parrot and uh, some parrot and corvid studies on intelligence, which was my other main area of interest at the time. I was really interested in animal intelligence and ethology, and particularly bird brains. I just love bird intelligence. So I started working with him on this Fulbright grant, and I also reached out to Working Dogs for Conservation to um, ask them about some of the pain points that they had in their in their line of work to help direct the Fulbright grant that I was writing. Uh, continued working on that grant submitted it in fall of 2018 um, and the goal was to study the selection of conservation detection dogs in New Zealand and I picked New Zealand because they have a very strong historical conservation detection dog program Submitted the grant and then started waiting and I remained in contact with Working Dogs for Conservation on and off throughout this time. I just kind of kept them updated on the work that Barley and I were doing um, towards being ready to deploy as a conservation detection dog team and I kept them updated on the grant and eventually I was offered a job, well I wasn't quite offered a job, they reached out to me and said that they were going to be posting a job and invited me to apply. So I did, and they I ended up getting the job. They asked me to withdraw my application from the Fulbright and just come work for them instead. So um, right when I had thrown my hands up in the air, deciding that I was never going to get hired in this field and I was just going to have to make my own way, I did end up getting a job offer, which I was was, and still am incredibly grateful for. I ended up working at Working Dogs for Conservation for about 18 months um, before, as I said earlier in this podcast, I was fired. Um... Again, we can. Uh, I'll, I'll link the essay that talks about that in a little bit more detail. It is a delicate conversation to be had. Um, really, really devastating for me emotionally. I did not see it coming. I had no idea that my performance was subpar, and to this day, I do not know why they have refused to tell me why I was fired despite repeated requests um, to know a little bit more so that I can improve in the future. So, yeah, ultimately, I did end up, uh, it's funny how things have kind of come and gone in circles for me, where I gave up on the idea of getting hired as a conservation detection dog handler and decided that academia was the route that would help me get into the field, ended up getting hired and not getting into academia, and then ended up getting fired, and now I guess I'm on my own doing this. Academia, I think, is still something, or continuing education is still something that I see in my future eventually, when the right grad program and I find each other, Um, but in the meantime, we're making it on our own as, as canine conservationists, and I think the big takeaway, the big career advice I would give people is, you know, getting into this field takes a lot of creativity and a lot of perseverance. I have been fighting tooth and nail to get into this career and stay in this career for, gosh, three, four years now. It has been an exhausting journey, and I I do think it's worth it. I do plan on sticking with it. But the way that I have done it is not something I would necessarily wish upon anyone else who wanted to get into this field. At the same time, I do not see a better way, and um, or, you know, given the options I had, I don't really see how else I could have done it, um, and I don't have really clear advice for anyone else. Because, frankly, the career trajectory has not changed much since 2018 or 2015. The two other times that I was really making concerted efforts to break into this field, I was successful in that 2018 attempt. Um, because, again, there are there are these organizations. Uh, you know, there's Canine Conservationists, there's Rogue Detection, there's Conservation Dogs Hawaii, Science Dogs New England, Conservation Dogs Collective. We're all really small outfits, working dogs for conservation, all really small outfits, all hiring really infrequently, and there are so many people who want to go and get into this field. So I think the advice I would give you if you do want to try to go the route of getting hired into this field is to stick with it Really diversify your interests the thing that ultimately got me hired at working dogs for conservation was my communication skills my outreach skills It was not my skills as a trainer is not my skills as an ecologist There were certainly people who were better suited um, and more more skilled more educated more experienced than me in those realms But my diverse skill set where I had the dog knowledge I had the ecology knowledge, but really I was hired for the communication and outreach stuff you know that is probably uh, you know again that's that's what got me hired and those may not be your strengths those might not be the things that you should double down on if you want to get into this field but I do think having a really diverse skill set um, is the right way to go I know all of the organizations I've mentioned would much would want to hire. If, they, if they're looking for a fundraiser, they want to hire a fundraiser. They're, they don't want to hire someone who is agreeing to fundraise as a way to get their foot in the door so that they can eventually become a handler. Um, so that is a reality as well. While I was lucky enough to manage to get my foot in the door through communications and then ultimately kind of pivot my way into handling and training dogs... You know, the fact that I fought so hard to make those pivots is potentially, again, I don't know, one of the things that ultimately led to working dogs uh, (laughs) showing me the door. Hey everyone, just dropping into this episode with an update on our Patreon. Um, So we still have all those same levels that we've talked about in the past. We've got the $3 a month doggy detector where you ask questions for me and the guests to answer each episode, but you also get to join our monthly training video calls, which are great if you're considering getting into the field of conservation dog training or are already in it and want to take you and your dog to the next level. Um... We will record the calls and then we publish the video for patrons to view and ask questions about. So everyone in all time zone gets gets to participate fully. At the $10 level, you get all of that plus the ability to ask questions, give feedback, and submit videos of you and your dog training for those calls. Um, and we also, we don't care about your target owner. So if you're working on competitive scent work or explosives or narcotics or anything like that, come on and join. It's a ton of fun. Finally, Kden conservationists at the highest level um, for $25 a month get a private 30-minute call with me each month, um, which is cheaper than booking my time at journeydogtraining.com. Um, so I also have a couple new updates. As of October this year, we are also going to be doing a monthly uh, learning club call. So aside from those video calls where every all of the patrons get to... Uh, go through dog training specific videos in these learning club calls we will all watch the same webinar read the science same scientific paper or otherwise kind of participate in the same new learning opportunity and then get together once a month on video chat to talk about it so that's going to be a really great way to expand your knowledge not just in the scent training world and the dog handling world but also learning more about ecology conservation odor dynamics all those great things it's real nerdy it's awesome So, I also added some exciting new merch. So, for our patrons now, once every quarter, you will get an exclusive... Um, bit of canine conservationist swag if you join at the highest level. So there's a mini print of Niffler that's just kind of a cute little postcard of Niffler. Um, You get a canine conservationist mug after three months. And then there are a couple different stickers. And all of that just is kind of included in the cost of your Patreon. And again, all of that helps support this podcast. This podcast would not be possible without our members over on patreon so i do hope you go ahead and join us over on patreon again for as little as three bucks a month you get all sorts of fun stuff at those higher levels you do get more one-on-one attention and you get swag but even if you've got three bucks a month uh we really appreciate it and would be thrilled to have you around now let's get back to the show I actually do have one other topic to cover that falls under the umbrella of making it as a conservation detection dog handler, and that is the lifestyle. So it is really easy on social media to make this job look amazing, and it is, it really is sometimes. The sunsets and sunrises that I get to share with my dogs, the amazing places I get to go, the people I meet along the way, you know, the knowledge that we get to share and the impact that we get to provide to the world is all so cool. This job is really incredible and it's exhausting. I live out of a van, which, yeah, looks really romantic on Instagram, but you know what? I don't have a shower. I don't have a toilet. Um, I kind of, sort of, have heat. Um, Don't have AC. I just have a fan in the summer. And um, it's really hard to build community. Um, even if I didn't live in a van, you know, most of the other conservation detection dog handlers I know do not live in vans, but we travel a lot. Um, everyone I know in this field is on the road a ton. And that's because for most of us, we have not yet been successful at finding enough jobs in our local area. sustain ourselves off of just local projects. So that means we're going and taking contracts around the country or even just around our region. But still, you know, if you're working four hours from home, (laughs) you're not commuting every day Um, or even around the world. So it's been very challenging for me to... I work very, very hard to maintain the community relationships and deep friendships that I have Um, and I don't get to, I don't really have a home base right now. Part of that is I chose not to return to Missoula at the end of my field season in Nebraska because of the situation, because, you know, with Working Dogs for Conservation being headquartered there, it just didn't feel like it was the right move for canine conservationists to return to the city. Um, and also the winter job that I have in order to help make ends meet is in Breckenridge, Colorado. Um... You know, I did go to college in Colorado and I spent two years living there right after graduation, so I have a lot of friends there. But, you know, as, as one can imagine, um, it's very hard to maintain romantic relationships and friendships while you're on the road as much as we are. I'm really extroverted and it's an ongoing challenge to kind of meet my extroversion needs. One of the other things that I find challenging about living on the road so much and so just something to consider, you know? I mean, a lot of people, Do like this line of work, and I obviously do. I love living on the road. I've been pretty nomadic for you know since 2018. But, you know, I'm really into dressage, um, horseback riding. I'm very into salsa and swing dancing. I would love to learn a martial art. And all of those require classes. Even when I do have the financial leeway to make those classes happen, I'm often not based somewhere long enough to be able to sign up for courses. You know, these classes are often taught in four to six week chunks. Um, Or I'm not, even if I'm able to commit to one four to six week chunk, I'm not able to stay at a given studio for long enough to really feel like i'm gaining any level of expertise and you know it's just it's it's a lifestyle that is again it's incredible i love this line of work but it's tough it's a tough lifestyle um you have to make a lot of other sacrifices in your personal life as far as both interpersonal relationships and housing and and hobbies um you know one of the other things to consider is that you know i would love to have a house um, just based somewhere. I don't really know where that settling down is going to occur, but um, you know, I constantly, when I, back when I worked at Working Dogs for Conservation and I was based in Missoula for 18 months at a time, um, I was constantly leaving on field assignments or to go give uh, presentations in California or whatever it was, I was constantly having to get um, plant sitters for the most part. I really wanted to get a cat um, and I ultimately decided that getting a cat was not a good idea because I was going to need a cat sitter so frequently. One day, I'd love to have a house with a yard and a garden and chickens, and I don't know how I'm going to make that happen while I have this job because I am gone so frequently for such long chunks of time. Um, You know, hopefully one day I'll have um, really dedicated roommates or a partner who maybe can, you know, fulfill that role so I don't have to constantly hire people to help. Um... But, you know, it's, uh, being on the road like this is challenging, it's a lot of early mornings, it's very strenuous work, and as I alluded to, it makes other hobbies difficult to maintain. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the examples I gave is this, this summer is one of the first summers I've had in a very long time where I didn't go on any really big hiking trips, let alone any backpacking trips because summer is when I make my money. So I am out in the field all day, every day with the dogs. And yes, it's beautiful. And yes, it's great. But, you know, I didn't get to go on any fun backpacking trips, which is something I really enjoy. Um, And then there's the dog care aspect of it. Of course, many of our listeners probably already own dogs. And many may already own a dog who is as high energy and high drive as the dogs that I currently live with. Um, but you know, I got a second dog primarily because I wanted to make this line of work a little bit more sustainable for me, and I wanted to be able to have a backup dog as Barley ages or if Barley were to be injured, um, and as many of you know, over the summer that became incredibly important because Barley was actually bitten by a brown recluse spider, um, at some point this summer and had a very long recovery period where he was not able to work at all. And having a backup dog made it possible for me and my friend Rachel, who was actually handling barley over the summer, to continue working. Um, You know, so there's, there's dog care aspects to this as well. I, before really getting into this line of work, I'd been considering not getting a second dog and maybe not getting another dog after barley so that I could really lean into travel and maybe go back to freelance writing. Um, And as long as I have this line of work, I'm going to have at least one dog, probably two or three, you know, while I live in a van, I hope I don't end up with three. But that dog care, you're never really off the clock, especially if, if you're listening and you don't currently have dogs or you don't currently have a working type dog. It's a big thing to consider because you know, you're still working on Christmas. You still gotta, that dog care has to come first. You're never really off the clock, even if you're working as a salaried employee for an organization, because, you know, <laughs> uh, back when I worked at Working Dogs for Conservation, there was, um, I lived, I, I hosted Jax, who was um, the Belgian, one of the Belgian Malinois that worked for the organization. And, you know, he had diarrhea all over my bed over, uh, over a weekend one time. And of course that can happen when you've got your own pet dogs, but they're, <sighs> the dog care is something to really think about and these dogs don't just disappear um when we're not working with them and we don't want them to but it's it's a big lifestyle so you know on one hand i don't like the phrase that like this isn't a job it's a lifestyle because I do want to be able to turn off my work at times. I do want to be able to check out, and sometimes I do just leave the dogs alone for hours at a time, or you know maybe they don't get their workout in every day, but. You have to be incredibly dedicated on, on the off-season, even when I'm not making my money as a conservation detection dog handler. I have to be incredibly dedicated to dog care, and they're my dogs. I would do it anyway. Even if Barley and Diffler and I never get another another contract in this line of work, even if I totally throw out my hands tomorrow and I just decide to be a, a ski bomber, a freelance writer or something, I'm still going to have the dogs. But the level of training and fitness that I offer them would likely decrease a little bit. And there is a lot of work that goes into maintaining their their physique and their training to allow them to succeed in this line of work. Uh, and honestly, the same thing goes for me. I have to stay in physical shape in order to do this line of work. And that's something I'm passionate about. I'm a really active person. But, you know, it, yeah, there's, there's a lot to consider as far as the lifestyle here. If we're talking about which we are making it as a conservation detection dog handler. So again, I think the biggest advice that I can give people is stay determined, stay creative, figure out what your variety of strengths are, and try you know try to use that variety of interests to make yourself stand out. Um, offer help. The big th- the other big thing that you know working dogs for conservation invited me to apply for the job, which I'm so grateful for. I was so lucky to be given that opportunity, and that is because. I stayed in their inbox, I stayed in touch, I updated them on the work that I was doing, and I wasn't asking for a job, I wasn't asking for favors, I was asking how I could help and how how I could be involved. you know, and if and when conserva- canine conservationists is ready to hire, which good Lord, I need to figure out how to pay myself and make my, get it so that I don't have to be working two other jobs or three other jobs at some points in order to make this work. But once we get there, I would love to hire someone. And the reality is whoever I hire is probably going to be pulled from the pool of people that's already highly connected with me and highly involved with me. Um, you know, I don't see myself making a big public job posting as a way to, to get, um, applicants for this, for whatever position I'm hiring for five years down the line. Um, obviously though, of course, if you want to get into this field, you probably don't want to wait five years for me to be able to potentially hire you. Um, so it's, God guys, it's tough. It's really, really tough to get into this field. And, um, I don't want this to be a, I mean, it is a downer of an episode. I am kind of whining. And that, you know, it's just, A, it's kind of where I'm at emotionally right now. And B, it's also just, that's the reality of my story and how I have gotten into this field and am still fighting to stay in this field. So I hope you find this helpful. Um, Again, I think my biggest call to action would be, good lord, guys. Canine Conservationists could use some support. Anything that you can offer as far as a monthly Patreon amount or donor box donation over on our website or just, you know, a one-time donation that all really helps. Currently, again, that's all just going into Canine Conservationist's it's a very meager nonprofit fund, but eventually the goal is to get to a place where I can pay myself a salary so I don't have to be freelance writing and teaching cross-country ski lessons and doing private dog training on top of um trying to run this nonprofit and uh, can just dedicate myself to writing grants and writing project proposals to stay in this field more full time. So that's my call to action, that's my plead for all of you. <clears throat> As always, you can find us at canineconservationist.org where we have links um, to everything you could ever want as far as show notes. We, the links to our Patreon is there. You can donate there. You can check out all of our merch. We have some great t-shirts and stickers. Um, and you can always follow us on social media as well. I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, sometimes this podcast really feels like talking into the void, so I love, love, love hearing from listeners. Feel free to DM me on Instagram or tiktok or twitter or just shoot us an email canine at gmail.com thank you so much for listening and um as always get out there with your dogs be a canine conservationist in whatever way suits your passions and skill set and hopefully one day everyone who wants to be a canine conservation handler conservation detection dog handler whatever you want to call it um is going to be able to find find a way to make that happen um good luck out there everyone <laughs>